Hi, I'm Jess O'Callaghan, and welcome to the Audiocraft podcast. This podcast was produced and recorded on the lands of the Darug people and on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and acknowledge that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land. In this feed, you'll find all the recordings from the 2020 Audiocraft Podcast Festival. And this is the final episode, so once you're done here, go back and listen to any that you've missed. This was a different sort of festival for us. We weren't all together, we were all around the world. So we decided to ask Audiocraft attendees to gather recordings of the world around them. We teamed up with Brain on Nature and then created a sonic landscape with everyone's recordings. In this episode, you'll hear that finished piece, and it's pretty special. But first, I caught up with Olivia Rosenman and Sarah Lelly from the Brain on Nature team to talk about their podcast, the process of putting together the soundscape, and what they learned from listening to all your field recordings. Hi. Hello, Jess. So I want to start by talking about Brain on Nature, your podcast, and um, before we get into the session that you did at Audiocraft. So can you tell me a little bit about the story behind Brain on Nature, Sarah, and also what drew you to telling that story in a podcast form? I was knocked off my bicycle by a car in 2015 and suffered a mild traumatic brain injury, which really affected the way that I heard the world. So I found sounds very uh, they still gave me headaches. They made it hard for me to focus and concentrate. I found it very difficult to be in a room with a bunch of people, with different conversations going on. I found the sounds of the city and the sort of television and radio and everything very difficult. Whereas I stumbled across the healing power of nature and the sounds of nature and found that being in, uh, around natural sounds uh, really helped improve my focus and concentration and um, helped to alleviate my headaches. I actually was working in television at the time and so my first thought was to make a film documentary and then I thought, actually, I my, as my personal favourite medium is audio and always really has been and also I realised that this was really an audio story. It was a really a story about sound and it would it would be quite effective to try and immerse audiences in the different sounds that I and and sort of try and recreate that with sound design so that audiences would be sort of plunged into like the intensity of the sounds that I uh how my brain was perceiving sound after the accident and then the contrast with being in a natural setting so it was sort of the association that the story had with sound to start off with that led you to wanting to make it in audio yes but also the fact that I I really liked podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are some of the um, podcasts that you were listening to at the time? Like what were some of your inspirations in terms of, of style and sound there? I think things like The Heart and Invisibilia um, and Radio Lab and Off Track and like I really wanted to tell it in sort of first in sort of quite a present tense which I liked the way Alone did where she kind of is very uh narrative heavy and she's telling a story that happened in the past but telling it in present tense and I really felt and using a lot of music and sounds and I felt listening to Alone that I was really just drawn into her story and the style that she did it. And so you had this idea and how did you go about assembling a team? So how did you find Olivia and 
maybe tell us about some of the different roles that people played in your podcast? Yeah, well, you had a role in that, Jess. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I was an avid listener of podcasts, but I didn't really know how to make audio. I'd done very little bit of tiny bit of radio at SBS, but mainly done TV. And I saw that uh, Sydney Writers Festival had a one-day um, podcast course, which I went and did, and you and Heidi were teaching that. And it was, I remember I had this idea, but I was very conscious because it's such a personal story and it's about a brain injury, which I was actually still recovering from at the time. It was a very slow recovery. I was really conscious that people might judge me and that it might make it hard for me to get work if people knew that I had a brain injury. So I didn't really want to tell anyone about it until, I don't know, until the podcast was out or something. So I remember sort of pulling you aside at lunchtime and saying, can I tell you about my idea? (laughs) Tell it in front of the class and don't tell anyone I've had a brain injury. (laughs) In the hallway. (laughs) Yeah, in the hallway, literally. Um, But you were very encouraging and, and then you said, you should come to Audiocraft. Uh, festival in a few weeks and so I turned up to that and I also turned up to the opening night podcast trivia and my partner Miles came as well and we were looking for somewhere to sit and we both spotted this couple over sitting on a table and we both kind of went well I sort of just looked at this couple and thought well that kind of look interesting let's go and sit there and then we sat down and Miles of course knows everyone and he was like oh I know Olivia I've worked with Olivia before I've talked to Olivia before and um, and that was Olivia Rosenman and Darcy Christ. Um, and Darcy Christ ended up uh, being our website developer and Olivia Rosenman ended up being the co-producer. And that was, we sort of, I, I didn't tell them about the podcast idea that night, of course. I, I was <laughs> very slow to tell them about even the idea. It was over the weekend at the conference that I, I think I even remember speaking to Darcy more. I was still being very like, not wanting to tell anyone that I'd had a brain injury. I was very self-conscious about it, but I got sort of the feeling that they were interested in the idea and then like bumped into them in Canberra in a swimming pool like the following year. Really <laughs> in the swimming yeah, pool. In the swimming pool and was like and started trying to talk to Olivia about it and she's like, haven't we meet up for coffee sometime? <laughs> like, <laughs> you trying to talk to me about the podcast, like let's meet up for coffee. Um, and we also, the exciting thing was is we lived, you know, only a few suburbs away from each other so we could ride bikes to each other's houses and and meet up. And so uh, it all sprung from there. Two important pieces of information that Sarah um, has has skipped there was that we actually, I don't think we won that trivia, but we came maybe second or third and won a prize which was a microphone and it was slightly awkward because we didn't really know each other. It was like, well, what are we going to do with this microphone? Who gets it? Um, and in the end, uh, I decided that Sarah should have it because she was about to embark on this um, on this whole process. And uh, I think actually I just didn't really want that microphone. <laughs> but I feel like it was we were destined to work together. Um, from that point on, there was a very symbolic winning of the microphone. Oh, and so then we we caught up again the next day at the at the Audiocraft conference. It was great. And um, yeah, spent a lot of time talking about the idea then. And then as it should so happen, so we did, we caught up for this coffee, as Sarah said, um, I was definitely very interested in the idea and in Sarah's um, pretty strong ambition for making this podcast. A few months later, must have been several months later, 
I started working, doing some work at SBS where Sarah was working. So we did also spend, we, we shared quite a few lunch breaks talking about the idea as well before Sarah kind of officially invited me to um, come on and, and sort of make it with her. Yeah, I was quite nervous when I asked Olivia. I felt like I was um, <laughs> inviting her out on a date or something. <laughs> We might, could we actually go steady? <laughs> so, Olivia, you have worked on a lot of different projects as a podcast producer. How do you, when you're coming to a project like this and um, after Sarah's podcast proposed to you over lunch, like how do you go about defining what, I feel like producer can mean a lot of different things depending on the project. How do you go about defining what your role would be in a project like this? I think what I would say is that we probably didn't do a great job of laying down those definitions early on. Um, certainly at the beginning I said that I would be happy to come on board and work with um, Sarah but that I thought we should try and find some money. Um, so we worked together in the first instance um, pretty in a pretty dedicated way just trying to find money to fund the production. Um, it was applying for a lot of grants and sort of competitions and various podcast funds. And we came very close in quite a few but didn't quite get there. And at some point, and, and it's all a little blurry now, we just kind of realised that we should start making the thing. I should say that Sarah had at that point already collected all the tape um, almost all of the tape, pretty much all of it. Um, so that was all there and, and Sarah knew that tape quite well. Um, and so then at that point what really needed to be done was Sarah needed to write her personal part of the story. And I feel like I'm, I can't, and I don't know, maybe if you can remember more, Sarah, about how it happened that we realised that it was really going to be focusing on her story with um, sort of uh scientific analysis weaved through that spoke to Sarah's experience and, and sort of to the topic more broadly. Um, but, yeah, I would say, look, it it, it was fluid. Um, over the course of the production we became great friends. We um, have kids of similar ages that we would sort of go out on bushwalks together. Um, so, yeah, we spent lots of time um, at my kitchen table, at Sarah's kitchen table working on it, doing all kinds of things that needed to happen from the point of having the tape to having a script to cutting it together to getting feedback to building a website to getting it all up and online and released out into the world to promoting it. Um, there were, you know, a million different jobs. And, yes, as you said, the job producer is a role of, with many hats, um, which I think makes it really hard to sort of actually set down those definitions and roles and responsibilities so yes, I'd, I'd say we didn't, we didn't, we sort of did it as we went, really. And who else did you bring on? So once you have a producer and you've got all of the material, it sounds like Sarah, um, how did you, yeah, look for other collaborators as well? Yeah, look, I think I'd just say as well that this was a very different process than probably I would ever have again and that most podcasts would have. It was very, very slow burn. I was doing it in, I was working part-time at SBS. I had two young children, a partner who was away for work a lot. So I was really fitting it around the rest of my life very slowly, apart from in the final year where I finished at SBS and just went, okay, I need to actually give this some serious time. But I was also learning how to make audio along the way. And Olivia was very helpful with that in terms of like just where do you start? 
And so things were, processes were, were, were quite um, a, little, a little bit random in terms of things, how things were done. But I was very lucky that AudioCraft set me up with a, a mentorship with Claudia Taranto at the ABC and that was a six-month uh, mentorship that started. I was at the point where I needed to, I was sort of writing it, but I, I was I hadn't really finished writing it. So Claudia sort of had a look at some of the script and was like, okay, it's too written, it needs to be you know, you need this needs to be much more that much more sort of audio style. And so I went away and, and and would sort of change it and things. And then basically I think the second meeting she was like, I don't want to read anything else. I want to listen to tape. And I was like, oh, my God, I've got to learn Reaper. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Teach me how to use Reaper. And so that just kind of threw me in the deep end of having to actually start putting it together. And so then I would meet up with Claudia and she would listen to a very rough version of an episode and give feedback and then I would go um, and sort of the process was sort of that sometimes I would meet up with Olivia and Olivia would go through the draft first. Like we would, I would bring a really rough episode to Olivia and we'd work on it and then I'd take it to Claudia or sometimes it was the other way around, but there'd be kind of a couple of different goes at things. And then I, I always knew that I wanted the sound design to be a big part of it and that I didn't have those skills. And so I, I kind of started, you know, a few months before, probably six months before we were planning to release, started asking around and discovered that that was quite late because a lot of the, pe- the first four people that we approached were busy and booked out. And I was like, whoa. Um, but it, I think it all worked out because we were connected with Ariana Martinez uh, who's based in the Bronx in New York and fabulous sound designer. And it was, you know, this was before anyone was working remotely. So I feel like I was very, <laughs> the working remotely thing has been quite smooth for me for during the pandemic because I was very used to that. Because, um, of course, you know, we, we were always working online. Um, online. And so Ariana, I, I knew that, you know, obviously you couldn't ask Ariana to work for free. So I had, I'd always kind of in my mind known that I would spend, put some of my personal savings to that because I knew that that was just an investment that, that would be worthwhile and needed to happen. And, um, and then that work and that relation, that working relationship was, was great and really, really, really fruitful. And I'm very grateful for the work that Ariana put in. One more person quickly to add to the team is the theme music, uh, which oh was goodness, yes. composed by Jonathan Zenti, who we um, quite boldly, um, although we were glad we did, just went out and asked him to write it at AudioCraft 2019 it was. So I was a huge fan of the theme music um, for Jonathan Zenti's Meet podcast and w- was just enraptured when he hosted a sing-along uh session at his session of that in that audio crowd olivia had messaged me and said oh my god there was a this amazing karaoke zenti thing and i'd been in another session and olivia had said he wrote his his band did that music and i was like oh my god i'm gonna go and try and get him to do the music for us and so there weren't that many people out drinking yet and i just bowled up to him and basically asked him when I told him about the project, he was genuinely interested in it and I think that's why he said yes. I, I think he was he was like, that actually sounds, he was like, I wish I was making that project. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, I couldn't quite believe it really and, and that 
it was incredibly generous and, you know, really nice. And Ariana was able to use some of the stems from the music actually throughout the series as well. So we were, yeah, it was a really lovely part of the collaboration. Brain on Nature, I think one of the things that helped us really get it out there was uh, a really good website that works how I think um, a, a podcast website website should work. And obviously, uh, we did not have budget to make that website and good web design costs money. Um, however, extremely conveniently, my partner, Darcy Christie, is a web developer. Um, and so he did uh, a whole lot of work for us building that website um, for free, which for which we are eternally grateful. And when we make our millions, we will we will pay him back. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a really interesting point. Um, a number of people have mentioned it, and I think it's interesting. I mean, it's you know when you've got no budget, no one's thinking about a website for their podcast. But I do think that it goes a long way. Um, so he was an important part of the team there to get that website built. And then um, we had a number of people helping us along the way with feedback, with sort of um, table listens, feedback rounds. Mike Williams very generously donated a whole day of his time. Quite close to the end, tore the thing apart in in an incredibly stressful way, Um, but definitely when it came back together again, it was much better. As you know, Jess, you came along as well. We had a a sort of a group edit with um, Tim Roxburgh and... um, yourself and Elise Protaka and a couple of other people. Um, Jason, like Jason, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and then I think uh, Tim Roxburgh and Elise Protaka came back for another session on the phone. So, you know, getting into the reads of like just how to tell some of that really complicated scientific stuff in audio. It's one of the things I actually found surprisingly hard about moving from TV to audio is that actually when you're trying to give like explain sort of technical, scientific or complex material in audio, it's actually quite hard. You have to really dumb it down for want of a better word. Whereas on TV you can use some pictures. I don't know, you've just got a bit more you can use. It's, it's quite hard and I'm so very grateful for Yeah, and I so, so all of that to say that, um, you know, the, I just think it's, it's really uh, reassuring to me and quite inspiring how, you know, lots of different parts of the audio community came together um, and and supported this project. Uh, Yeah, it's really, really nice reflection of, I think, a strong and supportive community here in Australia. One really interesting thing and and what's so, you know, exciting and invigorating about being making a a truly independent production is that you're not beholden to kind of the standards of a broadcaster or, um, you know, a a big organisation that's done something in one way for a very long time. So we, you know, we really listened to all of that feedback. We took some of it on board and some of it we went, you know what, we're going to actually do it differently. We're not, you know, it might be a bit weird, you know, someone might say that's jarring to listeners, but we went out on a limb and took a few risks as well. And I think, um, yeah, it was it was good to know that we were doing that, but then to have the freedom to do it anyway. I think we had a conversation, Olivia, where I was like, remember when we were writing all those funding proposals, we kept using the word experimental, which is problematic, I know, but this was always supposed to be a bit experimental. We always wanted to play with the format a little bit and do something a bit different, and I think that's one of the things that that we want that we did that was not the norm. And I, I don't know, I feel like it can we pulled it off. Yeah. <laughs> um i want to talk a bit more about sound and maybe this comes into talking about um how it was experimental as well because i think you what what you really needed sound to do in this podcast was almost um do some of the work of explaining 
how your brain changed, Sarah, which is is a really, you know, some heavy lifting for sound to do. So I want to talk about the role of sound in the podcast. What were some of the biggest lessons that you learned around sound and, and also scene building when you were making Brain on Nature? There are some incredible scenes in there. Yeah, so I think um, I guess I sort of had the concept for the sound and then and Olivia had a lot of really great ideas as well and then it was sort of transferring that across to Ariana and so I think I would probably do this differently now that I have a bit more experience. I realised that there was a bit of double handling and so I went and got all the field recordings and then gave quite some detailed instructions to Ariana and a script about where to put certain things. And then there were scenes that Ariana just built that I had nothing to do with that were amazing. But now that I have a bit more experience with the sound sort of editing and things, I've realised that actually if if you kind of know what you want and you're getting those recordings, you can sort of do it. You can do a lot more of that yourself. And But in this process, yeah, I mean, it it was interesting and and sort of we had a bit of backward and forward of Ariana where things just worked and didn't work and sometimes you know Olivia and I had strong ideas about the music and and oh that music's not working but there's you know listening back to it I had to listen to it back to it um, recently when we were putting in a an awards application and you know there were bits that I were like ah wow you know Ariane did such a great job of building this moment so um I was gonna jump in and say um just talk a bit about the field recordings which you know there's an amazing wealth of um on location field recordings. So Sarah would go out and get them um, and, you know, come back and tell me about sort of what happened and what went right and what went wrong. And, I mean, there was one great story where she actually went out to try and sort of recreate this scene where she took her kids swimming in this beautiful waterhole in a national park. Um, and what was it, August or something? Like it was freezing and she made her kids get in. <laughs> <laughs> scene they actually went swimming so she made her kids swim in this frigid water which I really admired um her dedication but yeah no Sarah was very set on making sure that she had real sounds from each of the places that she mentioned so that what was mixed in there was actually um you know I mean you could say it's all bush sound it's all Australian bush it doesn't matter too much about the location but she was um very meticulous about making sure she had all of those precise sounds so yeah the field recordings and I, I dare say that there's a library now of a whole bunch of um, amazing field recordings that we'll probably continue to get used. Yeah, it was really fun actually getting the field recordings. I, I mean, I think um, as we sort of talked about in the uh, Mic on Nature session for the Audiocraft uh, Festival, like I really just noticed how going out and getting those sort of field recordings just requires you to sit really still and just stop, turn your phone off, be really present and I now will encourage other people to go and do it just even with their phones because I think it's um, a really nice way to tune into your surroundings. And it was really fun. I mean, it was it was the f- probably one of the funnest parts of making it. Also slightly stressful because I had a pretty hectic, like I, I was a bit behind on schedule. I had to move house in the middle of like terrible timing for production and my partner was away overseas, so it was a bit full on, but I... I, and I had Ariana waiting for the field recordings, and so I was going around Sydney with this list of stuff. But yeah, it was it was it was really fun, and I and I really was being quite meticulous about recording everything exactly on location. You know, down to Bondi Junction bus terminal, Bondi Beach waves, you know, getting it all. And how did you? You mentioned that you wrote kind of a long, sort of scripted list for Ariana of. Um 
how you'd like that sound design to work. But was that the main way you were collaborating? And I think also how were you communicating things that we're always experiencing the sound from your perspective, if that makes sense. And I think that when you're working with a sound designer, sometimes your perspective on the particular sound that you're sending through might be hard to communicate. How did you go about that? Yeah, so the script was like just um, literally the script of all the, the grabs from all the different interviews and the narration. And then I'd put notes of like, put traffic here, put Bondo Beach sounds here. And I was being very anal about it. And I'd be like, uh, no, that's that's not, that that waterfall's not, that's too much water. That's not what an Australian waterfall sounds like. Mm. Uh, no, that traffic's not. And then there was a scene where Olivia and I were like, that doesn't sound like a cafe in Sydney. That sounds like, that's not a coffee. Oh, Americans <laughs> don't get coffee machines. Like it was like, we were like, no, you need a really loud coffee machine. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, that, and that's where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm learning that side of things. I probably could would do myself next time. But in terms of the feel, I think Ariana just got it as well. Like Ariana, they were really excited about, when we first sort of had our conversations about it, they really liked the whole concept of it. And, and you know, when I had conversations before I decided whether I was going to hire Ariana, I, I was really impressed with how they sort of just got it and were into it and had ideas that they were bringing to it. And so the balance I was trying to find was giving direction to achieve the what I wanted but also giving Ariana the creative freedom to actually bring what they were able to bring to the project and like that's always a fine balance but I think that we, we generally from my perspective um found that you know and I tried to sort of give Ariana enough space to be able to be creative as well yeah and just so in, in terms of the nuts and bolts of, of how it works as Sarah said we had a whole bunch of notes on the script Ariana took that and did you know did a first pass they would then send back audio. We both we would both listen separately and take our own separate notes, and then come together and sort of get put those notes together. So it was one sort of coherent set of notes. Sarah would send those on and generally have a call to communicate those back. And there was it was difficult with the time difference. Um, in some ways, it worked well because they could work while we were asleep. But there was definitely we were a bit close to the wire at the end there. Um, and yeah, it's sort of just with a few delays of of being able to because I think we found that um, that feedback worked much better when it was both written and communicated verbally. Um, So I guess that's one thing about, I mean, and it's totally fine. Obviously, we're all now very, very accustomed to Zoom calls and Google Hangouts and whatever. Um, But yeah, I'd say that is that, you know, that the working remotely worked totally fine, but being able to actually speak to someone is really important. I think the lesson I had was a few times I put things in emails and Ariana was like, just keep it in the document. Like it was easier for them to just have it all in one like I would sort of have a conversation and then I'd follow it up with an email just so it was all in writing. But sometimes those emails would kind of get lost. You know, some people are more doc people, some people are more email people and it's just finding, but that's like a, you know, it's a very individual thing. But yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I think as well, maybe when you're writing something, everything seems to have equal weight. It's really hard to sort of emphasize priorities or something in writing. Whereas when you're, when you're speaking to someone, you can, you can go back and forth on things and you can also maybe, they can tell what you're more passionate about or where your priorities are when you're conveying it to them. Yeah, and I, and I think certainly, um, I mean, look, I've never actually worked where I'm sitting with the sound designer or the sound engineer in, in, in person. I'm about to experience that in a couple of weeks. But 
I've always, that's the way, and I, and I understand it's a much slower, clunkier way of doing it because you can't just be like, oh, can you just move that sound back? Like that just needs to go down a bit or can you just, and I can imagine if you're sitting in the studio with them, it would be much quicker and more efficient, but that was all I knew, so want to talk briefly about the mic on nature session but I want to ask you briefly before that if you have any advice for people who are embarking on a creative collaboration I think that um, I really admire the way you two work together and sort of looking at the future of the project as well I think um, yeah there's a lot of people who hope to find a collaborator at AudioCraft and um, you know create something and publish something to a high quality like you both have so um yeah, do you have any advice for people embarking on that project, that sort of project? Look, from my perspective, I I think get to know the person quite slowly. Like, so I think Olivia and I are good friends now, but I've I've always been mindful of going. This is a professional friendship, and we need to like, like I, I, I think we took it quite slowly, like in the same, like very slowly. It was like media audio craft. Literally, didn't see each other again for like. I don't know, seven months or something, and then like have a copy, then a few, like we, it was really quite gradual. And I think that gave time for trust to build up and suss the person out. And I think if you went into it too quickly, it's just like anything, you, it could all blow up. And I think for my end, I was very conscious because this was in the end kind of my story, my creative baby that I was really investing a lot in. I was very conscious that for Olivia like you know it was very generous of Olivia to give any time that she had and to give any expertise because she came to it with a lot more audio skills and experience and so I tried to be just kind of like hearing her and and respecting any information that she gave like rather than me I don't know I guess I tried to be like okay um, Olivia is is just give respect for what someone is giving and offering you and like the different skills that you bring to it and and sort of and I feel like I had the same approach with with Claudia Taranto helping me I was very grateful that I had this person with these skills helping me and I was just okay I'm here to listen and take on board what this feedback is you know yeah yeah let me respond to that because I think definitely um yeah as Sarah said this was you know it was a very personal it was her story it was very personal she was very invested in making it and making it to the high quality um that she wanted to um I came on and as I said you know initially I wanted to come on and treat this as a professional job are you getting paid um you know in the end that didn't happen um and I guess, you know, the trade-off there, I suppose, was that, I mean, I, I, I did always feel like my um, ideas and opinions and feedback was was taken seriously, like, and not that Sarah, like, she kind of um, o- opened up in the way that it wasn't like she was like, well, this is my story and I'm telling it this way kind of thing. Like, she very open-mindedly took on um, feedback and and which in a way that maybe maybe would have been different if it was a more traditional you're, you're hiring me kind of relationship. I guess I felt very invested in and part of the creative um, process rather than a gun for hire kind of thing. I just had this moment when we were sitting here, I was like, oh, my goodness, I, if I had been able to like, you know, back when I first turned up to that first audiograph conference and I knew no one and knew nothing and I was like, oh, I've got this idea, if I had being able to go, oh, in a few years' time, Jess will be interviewing us for this for the AudioCraft podcast. And I don't know, like it it's I guess what I'm saying to people who are like in that position that I was in those years ago, like 
just go with it. Like I really questioned myself a lot of times whether I was whether it was going to happen, whether I could do it. Like it felt like this huge thing that could I make this happen. But I also was very motivated and really wanted it to happen and had and had this vision for it. But I still um, I don't take for granted that it did happen and that it has worked out and that and I'm very grateful for that and grateful for everybody's support as well. Yeah, and I guess and, and one more piece of advice sort of speaking to that. So we're sitting here, we're currently sitting here in Sarah's um, beautiful light back room looking out onto her very green leafy garden um, and I don't know if you can hear, there's like lots of little bird song happening. Um, and it's actually, it's also just reminding me of, you know, a lot of the time that we spent working on this was either at Sarah's house, it was at her previous house, which had an even bigger um, back garden with back garden with a huge pecan tree that we would often sit under. Um, we worked outdoors. We worked in the sun. We worked on our own time. Often we were working on weekends and sometimes evenings. Um, and but it was like truly enjoyable work. Um, it was such a pleasure, and it's it's you know I feel like a lot of the time work feels like work, and this was work that didn't feel I mean there were were bits of it for sure um but yeah so I guess my advice would be if if you are someone that has a project like find a collaborator and and do because I just think it's also like a lot of this work that we end up doing ends up being very solitary and quite lonely and the um partnership that we had working together um the collaboration there was 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 really a true delight Let's talk about the session that you both ran at AudioCraft. It was first thing in the morning and a remarkable amount of people logged on to take part. I think um, I wasn't sure how many people would wake up early and get their recorders out, but the idea was that people would record a soundscape or field recording, uh, hopefully outside, but some inside uh, in their surroundings the morning of AudioCraft. And can you tell me a little bit about some of the recordings that you got back and some that stood out to you I suppose the different sounds yeah so there was a a very good mix um I guess one of the benefits of the festival being online this year was uh probably a lot more international participants than than usual because it was people easy for people from all over the world to come some of the standouts well what was interesting was just how similar cities all around the world and in all different places um, sound. So just that kind of muddy muck of car noises, um, which I think is really what it is, or car noises bouncing off cement, um, which is slightly depressing. Um, but no, there were some real there were some real highlights. There was a recording from an obscure village somewhere in Scotland. Um, with some sheep that starred in that one. In the in the middle of the night it was in Scotland, so there was some sheep up late. Um, there were great recording. I mean, one of our favourites was, I can't remember who it was, but they'd gone out and about in New York City, I think walking around Brooklyn. Darian. Yeah, Darian. He's a New Zealander anyway, but he, he works at Planet Money now. It was just so great. I don't know if you've been to New York and, like, I just find in New York everyone's conversations are, like, turned up to volume 10 and people are having these really in-depth, like, personal conversations on the street. I feel like you always over here. And he just stumbled into this park and gotten into this conversation with these guys who started talking about what they were doing in the pandemic and just out there telling him his opinion. And and the way they started the conversation was they were wondering why he was carrying around a dead beaver. (laughs) (laughs) 
because we're going to hear some of the edited sounds, I'd really like to ask you about, did you learn anything about different people's style of field recording? I always think field recording is such a, a personal thing to listen to. If I get someone's raw tape and I always feel like I'm kind of eavesdropping on them or something and there's different styles of recording. Was there anything you learned about, yeah, I think about other people's recording styles? Some people certainly found it hard to not talk, not to be rude, but I think, and I think it is hard. So some people wanted to do a commentary, like they obviously found it quite hard to just sit there and and they wanted to be like talking, which was interesting and funny, but we found the yeah. talking quite interesting. The talking, like, yeah, ended up helping us kind of shape a bit of a narrative around it, which was actually really um, enjoyable. Some people, when they would talk, it would be kind of like this sort of dream-like, um, you know, quiet talking that they it was like they knew they shouldn't be talking or they were kind of just vocalising their thoughts. And then some people had like a David Attenborough thing going on. <laughs> um, yeah, and some people kept moving and some people stayed still. still um, people were limited by, you know, COVID and being in, mainly being in cities. So, so there was people expressing their frustration with the fact that but I think that's really interesting, and I, I've been thinking a lot about noise pollution, and and I think people were really noticing that. Like, and it was, it was like the way we start brain on nature off with like me going into my backyard using my new recorder, you know, without a shotgun, and just being surprised at how it picked up everything. And that was exactly how my brain worked after the brain injury, where my brain, you know, how we normally work is we can hone in and hear just the person in front of us or the thing we're trying to hear and we don't notice all the background noise, but my brain works like a recorder works out there, it just picks up everything randomly at the same volume. And I think people were commenting on that and noticing that. The other thing as we sat there um, listening back a few days later, we realised that what we had in this collection was an incredible document of a crazy time in the history of the world yeah, um, and across several continents across several continents and countries um just how the coronavirus had impacted people's lives so you know different people were able to do different things um and you know a lot of people were reflecting on how the various restrictions were making them feel i think in melbourne masks had just been made compulsory and some people were kind of responding to that and how they were feeling you know sh- sh- shit was getting pretty real at that time in melbourne um and some of the recordings out of melbourne were quite sort of striking in how people were responding um you know there were people from the states and obviously it was not and continues to not go very well in the states and people there were i remember one person sort of reflecting on this little small um a sort of walk that, that they had done really being the entirety of their life for the past several months and in all likelihood for the next several months. So, yeah, I do think that um, that, that, that the collection stands as, as a document of, of a crazy time. And out of all of the sounds that made it in, made the final cut, um, can you each give me a favourite one that we should listen out for, a favourite little moment? Well, Sarah was really wanted to get some kind of New Zealand bird that she got. The tui. Yeah, we got it. So we got um, somebody who works at Radio New Zealand obviously took out a really nice uh, mic and got some beautiful tui song um, around Mount Victoria in Wellington, which I was very happy about that. I think we even said, can someone go and get some tui? So so that is in there. Um, One of my favourites, which I think, um, yeah, that made it in there was, as I said, there were, you know, the majority of people were in cities and there were lots of city sounds, but there was a great recording that came from somewhere um, someone on a, 
maybe on a farm or somewhere just definitely out of a city and there were chickens. Um, and chickens chickens are just such a delightful sound. Um, We've got chickens in our, na- our neighbours have got chickens. Oh, yeah. In the back garden. Oh, yeah. Oh, and there was also a great recording of some native bees, um, which are definitely, definitely oh, yeah, made Jason in. down the road in Maracle. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you both so much. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for having us. So here it is, the mic on nature soundscape. We're going to put this in the podcast feed as a bonus episode as well, in case you'd just like to share what you made together. Why are you carrying around a beaver in, in, in the park? I like to call this a dead cat. Well, why are you carrying a dead cat around our park with all our children around here? You know what I'm saying, young fellow? Washington on Puyallup land. And I'm in the Bronx in New York City. Um, recording from a drizzly Brisbane. And I live in a village called Estelle Muir in the south of Scotland. We're going to hear some sounds from Castlemaine, Victoria. So I live in a, yeah, in a little um, in the west suburb of Sydney. Uh, luckily, I have the town built on Mount Victoria on my backyard in Seattle, Washington State, in the USA. And I'm in Perth in my backyard in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And I'm in Melbourne.
Hi, my name is Emma and I am uh, slightly muffled because I'm wearing my mask. I'm coming to you from suburban Melbourne in Coburg. really feel safe doing it um I'm really struggling with that because going outside has always been a really safe thing for me and my mental health and the fact that it's not right now is hard last four months we're not working man anymore okay. because of the pandemics epidemics it's very sensitive my recorder and I can hear everything trying to find some nature in this neighborhood Two minutes are not very much, so if I go to the back of the garden, we'll see if we can wake something up. We come here every day. Every day. We are, we are park life. And you want to hear sounds of park life? It's really nice to have discovered one of the places where the local kookaburras hang out.
But uh, it's quite and quite calming and quite uh, serene to just listen. It's quite good. It's a beautiful morning. Only thing is we are all mostly locked down in indoors. But yeah, I don't really journey that far outside my house these days, so this is kind of it. This is me and my world for the foreseeable future.
nature sounds, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Apartment dog. My name is Smithery, and I'm in Sigpol. It's about 6.22 in the morning right now, uh, so it's still really dark out, but I'm just going to take my mic for a walk and see what comes out. You've just heard Mike on Nature, a sonic landscape recorded by audiocraft attendees all around the world and produced by the Brain on Nature team. Thank you to everyone who sent in a recording. Even though we weren't able to be together in real life this year, it was so great to have still made something together. This is the final episode of Season 5 of the Audiocraft podcast. All the episodes from this year's festival are now available in your feed, so go give them a listen and let us know what you think. A huge thanks to our festival partners. Thanks to Audiocraft's lead partner, Spotify, our major partner, the City of Sydney, and supporting partners, Audio Technica, the CBAA, CMTO, Hindenburg, Podbean, RNZ, 2SER, the Podcast Directory, and Podnews. This season of the Audiocraft podcast was produced by Bernadette Nguyen and Selena Shannon and mixed by Glenn Morrow. Find us on social media at AudiocraftFest and sign up to our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au. You can reach out to us at hello at audiocraft.com.au. Keep in touch and see you next time. <laughs>